0: Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So, you ever try to make a first impression, and it does not it does not go the way you, you wanted it to. You didn't think it you didn't think it went well. I uh, had, actually, this might be not that big a deal, but it was just a little something that didn't go the way I wanted it. Um, I was teaching in Iwana, this was probably a couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, and I'm teaching to the kids, and it was great, it went well, but but to lead off, I kinda wanted to break the ice with them a little bit, so I asked them a couple kinda icebreaker questions, and the last one I asked was, "Uh, if you could be famous for one thing, and one thing only, just one thing, but world-renowned for one thing, what would it be, and they had your garden variety answers, and then just to be funny, just to kind of like get on their level and be relatable uh, and approachable, I said, I, I was kind of making a joke, but I said, you know, the one thing I wish I was famous for was great hair. <laughs> See, that's a very appropriate amount of laughter <laughs> for that joke. But they laughed inappropriately long and hard. <laughs> and it was, it was such a great first impression, it was terrible, and so. I was like, we're gonna teach on respecting your elders tonight, <laughs> and it went, it went okay. It was good, but kids were like falling out of their chairs, like, look at that bald guy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, if you make first, good first impressions, I, I was just thinking about folks online right now, I'm thinking, boy, it's so nice to make a first impression online, because there's this thing called the delete button, you know? Right, You can kinda of get away with curating your first impression. Well, I, you only get one. You don't get two first impressions. I just thought, man, for my first series, my first week here uh, as senior pastor, I, I just didn't want it to be anything other than that, right there, wow, God. I, I said, I mean, it, that is uh, what my hope was, is that every week for this series, next, month, next to the end of February, that we just drop you off on the driveway or the, the doorstep. Wow, God. You know, just just in awe and in wonder of his glory and his goodness and his majesty. And that's it. And just, just if we could do that using scripture, just letting scripture do the work of dropping us off at that doorstep. My hope is you leave here today hungrier for God than when you came in. You know, it, you know how you're, as a pastor, how you're doing it right, is if people leave and they're more hungry than when they came in. They're more hungry for the Lord. They're not, it's not like they're like, oh boy, I'm full, that was good, but now it's time to just set faith and spirituality aside for the rest of the day. And and I got my fill for the week. It's no, you'll leave there and you go, Man, I want more of God in my life. I wanna, I am hungry for more of his word, more of his authority in my life, more of what he has to say, and more of his values. I'm more hungry. Nonetheless, the godliest people I know, the people that walk with the Lord that are really God, they have hunger. I mean, they are hungrier than I am for God. I mean, that's just that's what a measure of maturity is in the faith. And so. I hope, as you leave, that's your story. And we did it by going back to Isaiah chapter six. We did this last week. That was his commissioning service. So if you remember, last week I was being commissioned as uh, the new senior pastor. I thought, let's look at Isaiah's commissioning. What was that like? And if you remember, Isaiah six, it starts out with with God just inviting Isaiah, and we don't really know, it's not super descriptive as like how physical or Uh, experiential this manifestation was. But Isaiah found himself somehow spiritually or vision-wise or something in the throne room of heaven. And God doesn't say anything. He just brings him in. He just sets him into the throne room of heaven. And it's just his presence. I mean, God doesn't rebuke him or say anything. It's just his presence. And Isaiah starts doing the talking. And the first thing he says is, woe is me. He's just undone. Woe is me, and he's just dealing with the reality that all of us, it's the response we'd all have. In the presence of a holy, almighty God, the first thing we would respond with, our first impression would be the gap between our morality, our character, our, our purity, our holiness, and his. He is just this holy, other, pure, almighty, righteous being. I mean, the cavernous canyon between us and God would be the First thing, and we would just immediately begin to, even just kind of crumble in being undone in that, just the reality of that dissonance. And that's his first thing. And then the second thing that happens is the, this heavenly being, if you remember, it's a seraphim, it's a heavenly creature. It takes from the altar of God a coal and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. The altar is the place where people would bring their sacrifices for their sin. If you remember this, I mentioned this, God in the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, he, he, he says, hey listen, you have sin, and I'm a just God. That's good news, God isn't unjust, he's just. That means sin gets dealt with. People don't get away with crimes, that's not called grace, when you get away with a crime, that's called injustice. God is very just, and he's like, I can't, I'm not, I can't let you off the hook for your sin, that's injustice. But the penalty is too high, it's too steep, you can't pay it, I don't want you to pay it. So I'm gonna make a way. I'm gonna make a way for it to get paid, and that was the sacrificial system. So they'd bring these, their, their animals to the altar, they would sacrifice these animals, and they would be burned up on this altar, and what happened was is this heavenly creature took a coal from that huge pile of fire and sacrifices and coals. He took one little coal, touched Isaiah with it, and all of his guilt, all of his sin, One coal, He can go all the way in to God. He can go and be in the presence of the almighty God, all of it, because of one coal from the altar. It's as if God is saying, through that, through that metaphor, that, that passage of scripture, he's saying, there is more forgiveness, there is more grace, there is more mercy in a coal from the altar of God than there is sin in a thousand of your lifetimes. Plenty, there's plenty of forgiveness. And so Isaiah is, as you are kind of remembering, you're just wow God, I mean those are my words, he didn't say that, but he just overcome with the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion of God. And then God speaks. Now God speaks. And he says, who will go for me? Because he has a mission. There are, there are his people that are out there that need to come in, that need to be re- redeemed and brought back into community with God. And he says, who's gonna go and tell him to repent and turn? And Isaiah, the natural thing you can do, when you have all that you get in the, in the gospel, and when you have all the forgiveness of God and all the mercy, it's the natural thing you can do. I'll tell him. They gotta know, I'll go, send me, is what he says. And we talked about this last week. You don't go from woe is me to send me without wow God. Everything, everything tips on that. Best way I kind of tried to sum it up was you'll never go and give hope or give forgiveness or give whatever you wanna put in that blank. You'll never give compassion, give grace, give mercy, give love. You'll never give any more than you allow yourself to receive from God. If you're drinking in God's forgiveness for your life through a straw, what makes you think you're gonna forgive people in your life? What makes you think you're gonna be able to love your enemies the way that God commands you to? If you're drinking in the love of God f- for your life through a straw, you, you have to widen. And is, all of your Christian life is just asking God through his word to widen your capacity to receive. You know, religion is what you do and what you can do for God and what you can earn. Christianity is just asking God, God, would you, would you open my eyes? Would you help me understand how much I have in you? Because the wider that is, the wider the forgiveness, you're gonna forgive everybody at that point. The wider that love is that you realize you have from God that you're gonna love everybody. The, 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 the wide the hope is that you have in your own future and your, and your plans and the hope that you have in God, the wider you're gonna be in giving hope to other people, the more hope you can give away. I mean, when your kids watch you, watch the news. I mean, they're watching, you're teaching them, right? And if you wanna be a beacon of hope for them, how much hope much hope? Are you allowing yourself to receive from the Lord, from the throne room of heaven, because there's plenty. So your, your whole Christian walk is just saying, God, widen it, give me the capacity to handle more of what is already available to me in heaven and in your throne room through your word. But here's the problem, it all starts <clears throat> with woe. You know, you can't be all wow no woe. It starts with woe, and this is where it's hard because I think in a room this size, every one of us have PTSD from somebody, a parent or an, a friend or an influence in our life or maybe even a local church that has tried to manipulate or extract grief and woe from us, right? Right? I mean, maybe the intentions were good, but what they were doing was rather than put you into the throne room of heaven through scripture, they were just trying to shame you and, and heap guilt on you for your sin, right? Trying to extract woe from your life, right? Like you ought to feel bad and like trying to just make you feel this, this thing. And maybe it was manipulative and bad. And now, and now no one, even people with all the right intentions in the world can tell you you're wrong. I mean, the first time a pastor gets up and tells you, hey, that's sin in your life and you ought to repent of it, it's like, well, I can't. And because there's just so much PTSD from people manipulating your emotion, trying to get you to feel shame and bad for stuff that you just won't even take the good anymore. No one can can rebuke you. And you're just stuck. And you're never gonna get to wow. You you can't skip the woe. The wow makes no sense without the woe. So let's deal with the good grief, the, the godly sorrow and grief. And here's how we're gonna do it today. We're gonna actually do it through Paul. Paul was planted a church, the Apostle Paul planted a church in Corinth. And this was a church planted in a place that was, there was all kinds of dysfunction, I mean it was, ancient Corinth was a place of deviant sexuality and really bad stuff and really, uh, the, the, it's just bad secular stuff, right? And he plants a church there and it goes good. And then what happens is he leaves the church to go do some other stuff and he writes him a letter because he finds out that they're kind of backsliding. Corinth is kind of backsliding, they're getting into some bad stuff, they're doing some good stuff, but they're kind of getting into some of their old habits. So he writes him a letter, we call it 1 Corinthians, it's his first letter to Corinth. And he convicts them. he tells them, like this is sin, he rebukes them. this is wrong. And somewhere between 1 Corinthians and his second letter, which we call 2 Corinthians, we find out that Paul heard about it. Paul heard that his first letter, it hit him right where the feels are. like It hit him really right between the eyes, and they felt bad, and they grieved their sin, and they repented, and Paul hears about it, and we know he heard about it because he mentions it in his second letter we call 2 Corinthians, so let's take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter seven, here it is. Paul writes this. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, his first letter, 1 Corinthians, I don't regret it. I I did regret it, you know, he's saying, I did regret it at first. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry. I'm not happy just because I made you feel bad. I'm not happy just because I extracted grief from you. No, no, no. He says, But because your sorrow led you somewhere, it led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. And he goes on to kind of describe a little bit more in detail. It's a good passage about godly sorrow, but I want to pause there. The first thing we realize is this, is godly sorrow, or or maybe you could put in there true repentance, true repentance, godly sorrow, it's more than an emotion. It is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. There's something else to it, and here's why. Because godly sorrow, (laughs) And ungodly sorrow, you know what's true? They both feel the same. Like, if you've ever, if you ever, like, feel bad about sin, you feel bad about something you did, and you kind of try to stand there and go, is this, you know, bad sorrow, like the the shame, and like, is this bad sorrow, or is this the godly sorrow? Like, is this conviction that, like, I I need that's gonna help me? Is this the good and you just try to sift that out by, seeing how you feel, here's the thing. Sorrow is sorrow. You know what godly sorrow feels like? The same thing as ungodly sorrow. It's sorrow. It feels the same. So you'll never get to the bottom of that answer just by asking, how do I feel? If you feel bad, it could be either one still. The question is this. Where is that sorrow, where is it leading you? Where is it taking you? What's the direction? The only way you figure that out is time and where you are in your heart, in your spirit, in your life, in your actions. It's only, that's the only way you know. You just gotta give it some time. Where is this leading me? Where are these grief feelings and thoughts, where is it pointing me to? Is it pointing me toward the values and the priorities and the commands of God? Because if it's godly sorrow, key word godly, it's leading you to God, which is the only place you find salvation. If it's ungodly sorrow, it's leading you somewhere. So that's the second point. I don't know if we put it up already, but godly sorrow, it's got a motion to it. It's moving you somewhere. Ungodly sorrow, one of the places it will drop you off at is regret, right? Because godly sorrow leaves no regret. Ungodly sorrow, ungodly sorrow, man, if you've been on that road, maybe you've been on it. I'm gonna be honest with you, some of you have been on it. Maybe every bit since they'll sin. You know, I sometimes wonder if the worst thing that Satan could do is not get you to sin, it's all the bad stuff afterwards that keeps you from running to the heart of God. That's the real problem with sin, is all the stuff that separates you from God because of what it does in your heart. it leads you to this ungodly sorrow where you're just filled with regret and just self-loathing, self-hatred, and you just, regret is wishing it never happened and wishing you could rewrite your own story. And that's like, I mean, that's the nth version of that is that you don't even like your story, you wanna end your story, right? The self-hatred that even, I mean, look at Judas and Peter, right? Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus. Judas has the ungodly sorrow that leads to uh, regret and self-loathing to the point where Judas, he ended his life, he wanted to redo it all, he wished he wasn't even born. But Peter, I mean, Peter had sorrow. I mean, I'm not saying you don't have sorrow for sin. Look, there are things that whenever you talk about them should be grieved. It doesn't mean you're not past it. It just means that what you're talking about and what you're dealing with is sorrowful, even godly sorrow. You ought to have sorrow for sin. But Peter's sorrow for betraying Jesus, for denying him, it goes a different direction, doesn't it? It goes to a different place. Read first, second Peter. He doesn't regret his life, his story, his walk. Sorry about sin, no regret. See, if you want to know what this looks like, it's, it's the ability to have a life that's imperfect, that's got sin in it, and yet you're not crushed under this self-hatred and regret because the sorrow has been leading you to the cross, you see, that's what you got to ask yourself. Is it leading me towards salvation? Not that you're getting saved every time you, know, you sin and then you repent. It's not that you get saved every time. It's not salvation. You have it. Now you lost it. Now you got it back again. You lost it. Now you got it back. It's not that. It's that when you, when you repent of sin in your life, what you're really doing is you're going back to where your salvation comes from. You're going back to the cross. You're going, I am right before God. This sin is covered under the grace and the blood of the Lord. And so I confess it, I look honestly at it, it, I grieve it. You can't skip the sorrow. In fact, if you really look at it, it's gonna just make you sorry about it. But it, it, it leads you to a place where you go, the salvation in my life has taken new territory. It's now, there's a new understanding, new implication of the forgiveness of God in my life, in this area. It's called growth and sanctification. It's, it's understanding the full implications of your salvation. And that's why you can have people who say, listen, I grieve the sin in my life. What I did in my first marriage or what I did in college or what I did, even, even what I did like last year, last week, I grieve it. But without it, it led me to repentance. In the grief of it, it brought me to God. And now I have a greater understanding of his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and his power to take something that I made a mess of and actually use it to deliver his mail in the world. There may even be people that you are, you are able to, to warn them and prevent them from walking down and making the same sin you did because of how God used and redeemed that part of your story. You're actually keeping people from the same kind of stuff. God has taken this, this mess that you made and now he's using it to help other people. And this is what it leads you to say. It leads you to say, I wouldn't wish it on people. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I am actively trying to keep people from doing the same thing, and I'm still have, I still have godly sorrow about it, but I would not delete it from my story. You delete that, you delete a bigger view of God's forgiveness and his grace and his power in my life. That's godly sorrow. It's so important to begin moving this way that we're gonna go back to our friend Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 55, he's doing the mission, he's doing his job, he's calling God's people to repentance. He's saying you gotta come back, you gotta turn back to God. And this is what he says, Isaiah 55. He says, seek the Lord. Seek him, go after him while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Look, even if you don't wanna think you're wicked, you're like, I wouldn't use wicked to describe myself. We can have that argument later. But even if you don't wanna say that, He's talking to wicked people, okay? Just for a minute, I'll give it to you, fine. Yeah, no, not me, but the wicked people. out Yeah, wicked people forsake their ways and the righteous unrighteous their thoughts. He's begging them to leave and turn and have godly sorrow that points them back to God. But here's what Isaiah knows, and here's what I know, and here's what you know. We will never run. We will never seek And we will never move toward a version of God that is poised on the edge of his seat to smite us. We'll never go home to that heavenly father if we believe when we sin. He says, you better not come back to this house. We will never move toward a almighty, I mean, this is why, like, I understand atheists. I understand, I completely understand. To get up and go to work in the morning and go about your day, you can't believe in God. If you believe there is a God and he has a moral standard, and you, you don't hit it. Then oh, I don't know how you believe in that God at all. You can't. I mean, that is that is dooming. That would be Isaiah, right? Woe is me, I'm doomed. If the if if that God exists and He's this creator of the world and the universe and he has a moral standard and I don't hit it, I know I don't hit it. I can't even believe it. So I have to believe in a God that I can manufacture that 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 protects me from having to even psychologically go there. We'll never move to a God who is on the edge of his seat to smite us. We'll never go that direction. And that's why I believe it's right here where Isaiah leans back in his chair and he recalls the coal on the altar. He recalls that moment in the presence of God. He knows the real God, the real one, not the made up one, not the one that you think is God. He knows the real God and he says, listen, he says this, let them turn to the Lord and he will, he will have mercy on them. And to our God who will freely pardon. He's not not like begrudgingly pardoning. He's not like, well, I guess I have to forgive you. He is freely doling it out. He's freely giving it out to the wicked. To the wicked he's doing this. To the wicked he'll do this. To the wicked who will turn and go. It's freely given. Listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say, that God's mercy has to be provoked. It does say you have to provoke his anger. God's disposition, his default mode, is mercy for the wicked, for the wicked. And this is why in this, in this passage, the next, pa- the next line, God intervenes. God has to break in here. He's like, they don't get it. They still think when they close their eyes, and when they think about their wickedness, and they think about, can I go home? They still don't get it, they still think I'm waiting to smite them. That's why God breaks in, it's in quotes here. This is God talking now, remember? This is the next passage, ready for this? He says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as high as the heavens. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. It's so high. I mean, a billion light years away. You're not even to the beginning, the starting point of the the universe. And you can't measure it. And and you you need to stop and repent of closing your eyes, folding your hands, getting on your knees, and confessing sin to God with an image of his Demeanor and his posture that is anything short of what he says he is. He's not how your earthly father dealt with your sin. He's not how even you deal with wicked people hurt you. He's nothing. How much is he like nothing? As high as the heavens are from the earth. This is why it is so dangerous It is is so dangerous, it is so violent for you to come to church, for you to hear this book taught, and for you to read this Bible and hear God's word, and then pick and choose what parts of it make sense to you if you were God. You know, this is why it's so bad for you to have an idea of like, well, that's not how I would do it if I were God, or like, I don't, I don't, I don't think a God would do that. I don't think the real God, if it, if it doesn't feel right in my heart that God would do it, I don't think it's real. Or if letting society or what's normal or culturally okay in our day and age today to determine what you believe about God. If you don't let this book, and you don't let God's word offend you, tell you you're wrong, tell you you're, you're incorrect or your view is wrong, if you don't let this book do that, then guess what? You're God, okay? You're God. If you don't let God tell you you're wrong, then you're God. So no wonder why you're lonely. No wonder why you feel like God's far away, because you're God, and it's just you. And here's the problem with that. Eventually, your God that you're creating, you will outsin the forgiveness of that God, and you know it. You know it. You will out sin it. You, you will do something that even you will say, I can't forgive myself. You will get to a place where the God that you've made is too small in grace and mercy you need to let this book offend you today. Let me tell you something. Some of you have been saying, I just can't, I can't feel good about it because I have this, all this guilt from sin. I know God forgave me, but I just feel so guilty. Stop blaming your feelings. It's you. You're not letting the Bible tell you the truth. How dare you close your eyes and look at a God that is not poised and eager for you to come home because he loves you. He's just waiting for you to turn from your wicked ways. Just turn. He wants to give you a, bring you in, love you, give you a pile of mercy and forgiveness that you'll never out sin. Anything south of that is your own version of God. And how dare you add to this book that does not say that. You need to let this book offend you today. Your view of God's love is too small. Let me tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is one long story trying to undo your version of God. That's all it is. This is one long story trying to undo your view of God when you close your eyes and talk to him. That is what this book is about. And the whole of the Christian life, you know what the whole of the Christian life is? It's just every day, it's just trying to ask God to help you receive more. That's it, just help you receive more. Religion, again, I said this, is just trying to do stuff, trying to earn stuff. The gospel, scripture, the Bible, the God of the Bible is just, he's just trying to open you up more. I've asked the band to come out and lead us in a closing song, but I wanna maybe put to you like this. This is, for those of you that know that are really good at home improvement stuff, this is a vent, Okay. And if you need me to come over and install this in your house, it's just five easy payments of $4,000. <laughs> I'll do it, no problem. Labor's expensive right now. This is a an vent. And uh, I just had a new furnace put in my house. After like 30, we had a 30 year old furnace. And I was playing chicken with this thing all winter. And it was leaking and I was just duct taping it up and my wife was like, Brian, you need to be a good dad, okay, and you need to get a new furnace, so I did. But the new one's a powerful one, it's pretty amazing. But here's the thing, nothing's getting through this vent as long as the vent is shut. As long as the vent is shut, nothing is getting through. And I believe this, in a room this size, there are people in this room, man, you have had the vent shut on God's mercy and God's love for your life and his forgiveness. You've had it shut and it's because that in your mind, that furnace ain't on for you. That furnace shut off a long time ago. In your mind, you did some things that you, you thought, you know what, the, the, the heat is off now, it's moved on, I I've broke it, and there's no, the, what's the point? And the Bible is one long story to tell you that whether this is open or closed, the furnace is white hot. And God wants to warm your heart with love and forgiveness and grace. And all you gotta do is open the vent. All you gotta do is open it. And some of us, even as Christians, we just, we're walking around like this. Like we, we've been walking around for a long time with like a little bit of opening because we don't think we deserve, like we can't, God would never give us any more heat than that. So we just, we'll take a little bit, but we can't. And the Bible is one long story of saying, open it up as wide as you can go. If, if, listen, if you really knew how much grace you have, you would burn it up like jet fuel on 747 at takeoff. There's plenty. Go to him. You can't skip the godly sorrow. You can't get the wow. You can't skip it. But if you, if you have it, take it to God. Let's stand. We're going to close the song, and I'm gonna pray for you. Let me let me pray, God. In a room this size, there are people we don't know how to feel, Lord. We don't know, we don't know. And so, God, I pray in the short time, you don't need a long time to do big things. In this short song, would you, God, would you just show up? I mean, that's all you did for Isaiah. You just showed up in the heart. Would you look at people in the eyes right now? Right now, we just start looking at them, and would you tell them the furnace is on, the heat. There's, there is warmth, and they just got to open up to it. They just got to open up wider. Would you do it, Lord? Would you put your hand on their hand and make them open up the forgiveness and the mercy that you are on the edge of your seat to give for all of us who go and turn to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together.